The countdown is on to fight time. This is Big Fight Weekend. Now, here is your host, TJ Reeves. Well, welcome in, everybody. We get ready for a humongous world welterweight unification title pay-per-view on Saturday night. We're ready to preview it, talk about it, break it down, analyze it all part of the Big Fight Weekend preview, however and wherever you found this podcast, whether it's through the site, bigfightweekend.com, whether it's through a social media link, make sure you're following and or subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts. Follow and subscribe along, and it comes automatically to you. The preview show usually out by midday Eastern time on Friday, depending on where you are. As I always like to joke, adjust your time zone recording accordingly, whether it's in the U.S. or wherever you're hearing us. Midday Eastern time Friday, we're usually out with a preview. Stays relevant, obviously, in, until about the Saturday night uh, time frame, Eastern time, whenever the fight cards get underway. I fully understand that there is a matchroom boxing uh, show in the UK and Manchester, England. We're going to talk a little bit about that as the, as the program goes on, but we're at least relevant on Friday up until that time, Saturday afternoon, US time when Connor Ben is in the ring in the main event. Speaking of welterweights there, again, we're pointing to uh, Errol Spence, your Dennis Ugas, uh, for the three-belt unification battle that is at the home of the Dallas Cowboys, AT&T Stadium, Arlington, Texas. So we've got a lot to say about that. I am merely the somewhat competent host. Uh, he is uh, with us on Big Fight Weekend. Love the boxing insight and analysis of Dan Rayfield, who is back aboard on the Big Fight Weekend podcast. I have joked just before I hit the record button, you and I are talking so much, I'm talking to you more than I'm talking to Mrs. Reeves, and that could get me into trouble. But it's not a bad thing when we're talking boxing, and this one we can't overstate is a very important world welterweight title fight. We're looking forward to it. Dan, how you feeling as we head towards the weekend? I'm totally excited for this fight. Uh, you know, what what's better in boxing where you have people that are fans and they talk about the fight and there's really no negativity around the fight. You don't necessarily know who's going to win. Both guys have looked good in their recent fights. Both guys have a legitimate chance to win the fight. There's very high stakes. They very, uh, you know, are, are sort of a rare welterweight unification fight, certainly for three belts. It's only been about a dozen in the division history. Um, and it's at a great location. I've covered most of the fights that have taken place at AT&T Stadium. It's a great venue. Uh, Errol will have the home crowd, you know, there. He's from the Dallas area. And, and there's just, it's, there's nothing to be negative about. It's a very exciting fight. Like I said, it means a lot. It's a pretty solid undercard. It's not, uh, it's not just filled with nothingness. It, there's some high-stakes fights on that undercard, interesting prospects, some fights that I think will probably be entertaining. And so it's just a good night of fights, if you ask me, topped off by what I consider, um, at least so far here we are in the first part of the year, not quite halfway through the year, but from January till now, I say this is probably the biggest fight in boxing so far this year. Obviously, it will be trumped by some other fights that come along, but this is a highly significant fight. And to me, you know, it's, it's a, it's the kind of fight if you're, if I know there's a lot of pay-per-views these days, if you're that, if you're a diehard boxing fan, I'm not sure how, you know, how you're not figuring out a way to buy it or go with friends or whatever. And actually TJ, the cool thing today was, and top rank hasn't really done this. Like some of the other companies, particularly golden boy and PBC is, uh, 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 this, well, I'm talking about the, the big pay-per-view that's coming up next week with white and fury. I mean, I'm, I'm also talking about Errol Spence and who is they're making that fight available in movie theaters. My point is if you're, if you're on a budget, you can go see it in theaters. It'll cost you a lot less than if you're buying 
the full pay-per-view price. And PBC has done that with some of their fights in the past. I don't know if it is the case, and maybe they're not for this one, but you're right. It's a way to offset cost, uh, something that used to go on all the time. This is the first of a couple of times that we'll make mention of. We did a brother podcast on the Fight Freaks Unite podcast where we were talking about Hagler and Hearns as we released this podcast, the Big Fight Weekend Preview Uh, That is on the anniversary as we release it on the Friday, April the 15th here. Uh, That's on the anniversary from 1985 of that fight. And you made mention that back in that time frame, the in-home pay-per-view didn't really exist. People don't appreciate and understand that you would have to go to a location to see a closed circuit version of the fight. A lot of times, like a movie theater, a ballroom, an auditorium, someplace that had TVs, maybe a bar would have the ability off a satellite, but that was rare. That's what it used to be in the 80s. The movie theater was a bigger deal. The ballroom was a bigger deal. Is the point. But the, the, the big difference is, Back in those days, and I, you know, I was a kid, so I didn't go to those, but mm-hmm. I know people that did. And, you know, it was the lighting wasn't so good. The, the audio was usually terrible. You know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the greatest uh, thing in the world. And so when pay-per-view became available and you could sit in your comfort of your own home with your own television, control the volume, hear the clear audio, uh, you know, see the see the lighting, you know, turn out your own light, whatever. But the people that I've talked to since they began showing these big events in movie theaters, like a lot of the Floyd Mayweather fights and and that sort of thing, a lot of those Golden Boy fights and and, uh, and PBC fights, the experience that people have had and, you know, has been tremendous. People love it. It's, you know, you see the same broadcast as you see on the on the Showtime pay-per-view or, you know, what was an HBO pay-per-view back at that time. Uh, so it's the same announcer, same everything like that. Um, but you've got a comfortable seat in the movie theater. They have obviously they have. Uh, if you want to have a drink or have some food, you can do that. And, um, you know, the tickets are cheaper than if you buy a full pay-per-view. And so uh, the, the feedback I've gotten, because I've never actually done that, because I've usually been at the fight, um, is that it's a, it's a very um, positive experience for those uh, consumers that elect to go out of their home, back to the old school, and go watch these big events, you know, in a, uh, in a movie theater in a closed-circuit location. Well, and then uh, again, you know, people just don't understand and appreciate that's the way that you had to do it before. But now we have all of these conveniences where you can see it even on your phone, even if you're out somewhere else uh, to be able to do this. And obviously, uh, to bring it back to this uh, Spence Uga showdown, they're hoping for that. They're hoping that the relative ease with being able to purchase the pay-per-view will help. The convenience of it will help with selling the pay-per-views. Uh, for this fight and they, they hope they hope they're not going to make an announcement on this that it's Errol Spence who gets the win keeps his star on the rise and then we look towards a possible uh, undisputed situation with WBO unbeaten champion Terrence Crawford something that's only been talked about I think for the last five years 10 years 27 years I lost track uh, that that may be on the trajectory of happening later in 2022 etc of course if Ugas wins it's the same thing uh, then the Ugas will have beaten Manny Pacquiao, as you know, Dan, and will have beaten Errol Spence. And it is very advantageous now to talk about him and Terrence Crawford. If that's the case, that's the intrigue of Saturday night's main event here. The winner in a real catbird seat one more time. Oh, there's no doubt about it. But, uh, you know, that would be the, per- the perfect plan, of course, would be for whoever is the winner of Saturday's fight to fight Terrence Crawford in the next fight. He's the WBO champion, like you mentioned. Certainly if it's if it's uh Errol Spence, that's the fight that boxing fans and and press have asked for for the last few years. And it becomes an easier fight to put together uh, from a promotional point of view, because Terrence Crawford for a long time was associated with top rank, 
had the exclusivity with ESPN. Now, that's not necessarily something that can stop a fight because they were able to make his fight with Sean Porter, which he crossed over and fought on a top rank card. PBC and top rank were able to come together to, to uh, co-promote and put on uh, the rematch and the third fight between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. But if you are not associated with the promoter and you can go to any uh, broadcast outlet or any promoter, it does make it easier. And now Terrence Crawford, after his victory over Sean Porter in uh, the end of last year, he is now a free agent. So if there is a real movement to try to make a fight with Errol Spence or Ugas, because they're both with PBC, now is that time because he is not encumbered by a broadcast network contract. He is not encumbered by any other promoter contract. Now, the fly in the ointment, of course, is that if you want to now, I don't I mean, I, you'd like to see it for all, all four belts. Obviously, uh, I would settle for the fight, period, whether there's one belt, two belt, three belt, four belt, no problem. But uh, what's going to happen is that after the result takes place on Saturday, that the WBA, and this is not a secret, they've said this for months, and they've been doing it with their other weight classes. They have said they are going to order the winner of this fight to next defend against the mandatory, which is going to be the, the regular title holder, which is between uh, Imanta Stanionis and, and Butayev, who are fighting. Uh, you know, Butayev is defending that secondary title in, in the, on the undercard of this show, uh, on, the, on the main part of the Showtime. You know, there's uh, tell the fans here to make sure they're aware two fights on Showtime from seven o'clock Eastern to nine o'clock Eastern and then the full four fight pay-per-view. But the fight that's the main fight on the showtime part of it is this secondary welterweight title fight between Stanionos and Bataev. And the winner of that fight is going to be mandated to fight the winner of the main event. So that is something that could potentially waylay a Crawford fight or make it that it's only for uh, three belts. If, if one were to give up the title and not do that mandatory. And it, it, we should point out, if I have this correct, keep me in my lane, make sure that I do. Uh, the WBA wanted Stananias to be able to have the shot at Ugas once Ugas had beaten Pacquiao. They worked it out where, hey, financially, whatever, step aside. Well, yeah, well Stanionis went to them and said, you know, or his people convinced I'm him to whatever to it was. This. Yes. So, I mean, it's near, it's possible that the winner of that undercard fight could do the same thing again is, you know, to my way of thinking, it's very simple. If, if the champion is, is amenable to a situation and the challenger is amenable to the situation and it makes sense for everybody involved, why make the, why force a fight when, mm -hmm. when it's not, I mean, no one in the world is demanding to see the winner of the fight against the winner of the other fight. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's a nice fight, but if, if both sides are cool with it and, you get the opportunity to do the undisputed. I mean, and he will, and the winner will be willing to step aside to let the winner of the main event fight a Crawford. So be it. Well, I mean, that's better for the sport. So maybe that could happen again. I'd like, I would like to hope that that would. That step aside is seven figures though, probably to step aside. And the concern would be from whoever wins that Showtime main event that you're talking about. Uh, Butayev, if I get the names wrong, help me. Stan Anias. Stanionis. Uh, Stanionis. I was close. Uh, that whoever that is looks at it as, hey, if I don't take advantage of the opportunity right now and the winner's Saturday night of Ugas and Spence engages with Crawford, there'll probably be a rematch clause in that fight as well. You would speculate and think, yes, now I'm not getting my shot for maybe a year and a second fight has to happen after that title fight that I'm acquiescing to and getting out of the way of, blah, blah, blah. We'll see. We'll we'll see what we'll uh, see. plays out with the politics. All I all say right it. now, one one fight at a time. We got a we got a tremendous yeah. fight in front of us to watch and to talk about and to get excited about for Saturday. And you know, there's a lot of stuff that gets talked about about future fights leading up to a fight. 
and I've been around a long time to see things change, you know, 180 when the fight's over because you just never know what the heck is going to happen. And for example, uh, for the longest time, they were trying to get Errol Spence with Manny Pacquiao. And to your point, Jordanis Ugas messed all of that up last August and beat him and beat him decisively and basically retired him. So we think forever. We'll see. We'll see what forever means with the Pac-Man and whether he might be back at some point. President Pac-Man, if he gets elected that way in the Philippines, we'll find out. But anyway, to the point, Ugas uh, screwed all of that up with a victory last year. Good for him. And what a story he is. More on that a little bit later on. So we've talked a lot about that fight. Uh, A reminder again, we'll we'll hear from Brandon Lee, uh, the uh, junior welterweight contender who is on the undercard a little bit later in this podcast. Dan Dan and I will have a full breakdown. I'll get Dan's insight on these fights, the most important ones, and what he thinks real briefly on each one of them, including the main event. Uh, And there's real intrigue for Errol Spence to try to remain undefeated in his backyard, et cetera. So all of that's coming. Before we get there, you covered on Thursday in our timeline uh, the Dillian White emergence. Hey, look who came out of the shadows. Look who decided to be part of the promotion of the WBC World Heavyweight title fight with Tyson Fury to take place next Saturday at the time we released the podcast, April 23rd, Wembley, St- Wembley Stadium. Um, there are going to be just a couple of people that are going to be interested in this, obviously, in attendance, uh, on pay-per-view, etc. All right, so you covered the first time White has spoken. He wasn't at the original kickoff press conference, has never really talked about this fight, given his feelings. Give me your insight on what you saw and heard from Dillian White. What is your take now as we're about a week out and he finally emerged to help promote it, Dan? Well, they what they did was they organized a, a video call, a Zoom call with the writers. And first you had on uh, Frank Warren and Bob Arum, the co-promoters of Tyson Fury, along with Tyson Fury. They spent about maybe 35 minutes or so and took questions from, uh, you know, they made their statements and comments and, and had an opportunity to ask questions of, uh, of, uh, of Fury and the promoters. And then there was a, you know, a couple of minutes to let, you know, uh, break. And then they brought in Dillian White, who, like you mentioned, had not even acknowledged that he was fighting Tyson Fury until now keep in mind, Frank Warren won the purse bid for a record $41 million plus back on January 28th. And then it took a few, you know, a little while for them to get the deal done as far as the contract in the right place, have Dillian White finally sign it. You know, it was a really contentious situation, even though it was under a purse bid because Dillian is very upset, um, understandably, to be honest, that the split that was, uh, determined by the WBC at the behest of Team Fury to make it 80-20 in favor of the champion. When Dylan is not only the mandatory challenger, but he's also the interim title holder. And that is a much lower percentage than would be normal based on what the WBC typically would do. So he brought them to an arbitration. Uh, they were trying to you know, figure out what they're going to do. He's been very upset about the way this whole thing has gone. And so he never even acknowledged the fight. And it wasn't until, um, I guess it was Wednesday, where... Well, he celebrated his birthday on Monday, and I kind of had a feeling there was some positive movement afoot because Frank Warren uh, and some of his uh, folks went on social media and <laughs> sang him a little happy birthday uh, on his thir- 34th birthday. If there were still problems, they probably wouldn't have done that. So he put out a tweet on, on, on his other social media saying that he was ready, you know, I'm paraphrasing, I'm ready for the fight, see April 23rd in Wembley, uh, you know, let's go. Uh, and then it was announced uh, later that day that he would be on this video conference for a press availability to talk to the writers about the fight. Um, my understanding is they finally had like a, a, a behind the scenes between a representative for white and a, and Frank Warren, and they were able to talk through some of the issues. 
and they did an amendment to the contract. Now he didn't get a raise in his salary. You know what the what the purse is. The purse bit is the purse, but he's getting that money. But there were other non-financial things related to the setup and the fight week and the things he wanted that were not part of the form WBC contract that that the athletes sign when it's a purse bid, as opposed to you just negotiate a deal and you make sure point A, B, C, D are put in that contract. The promoter and the lawyers check it out. When you win a purse bid, it's just a form contract. It's got basic right. stuff. So there was a few things uh, that may individually be not that big of a deal, but if you add them all together, they were very important to Dillian White. So they got that done and he was happy. Uh, Warren and, and Toprick were happy and he's now participating. So Warren alluded to this as again, you hear from Dan uh, Rayfield and he does such a fantastic job. Love <laughs> his insight. He's now come aboard here as part of big fight weekend in the podcast, but Frank Warren alluded to this. I wrote something and put it up on the site uh, he, he tends to at times reveal some of his cards or whatever. And he, and he revealed that one of the things, a couple of the things behind the scenes is that Dillian white wanted more tickets to the fight, wanted more of his entourage and or security to be cleared, to be allowed to be backstage around him, et cetera, wanted hotel accommodation for some of these people. Those were things that were being in the back and forth, discussed here and i think that's what you're alluding to as well so even though he yeah. didn't get specific white thursday on that video conference call frank warren kind of tipped it before that that was some of what the back and forth was about well fair when, when he was on the yeah. call yeah i mean when dylan was on the call you know he was asked i asked him about it i think a couple other guys in different ways asked him about you know what what was your reason for the change of heart and he didn't go into the details but you know, clearly frank mentioned it those are the types of things that you want as the boxer that aren't necessarily related to your straight purse. So what Dylan was talking about, look, it's, he made the point, like just because they won the purse bid and just because you sign a piece of paper that sort of gets the ball rolling, but certain things have to be done the right way. There's underlying issues. We had to work out, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm a businessman. Bottom line was they finally realized that, you know, it, 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 the fight's a week away or, you know, a little bit longer than a week away, 10 days away, that it was time to really, you know, take care of business. And uh, they were able to work it out, do that amendment to the contract. And now I'm not going to say they're best buds, but Frank and, and his team and, and, and the White and the Fury side, they'll do what they're supposed to do. And White has some assurances and some peace of mind, I guess, for certain things that were important to him that are not necessarily financially related. And he will do his part, which is participate in, an, in, a, uh, in a media call like he did today. He'll do interviews during fight week. He'll, he'll appear at the press conference during fight week and, you know, and basically, you know, be on, act like a decent professional athlete. As he should. And there's another important point, and you know this, but I'm just illuminating this for the audience as well. So they've sold 90,000 plus tickets. I mean, the thing is a massive box so office. Say. So, so they, they say. say, fine. We believe there's going to be 80, 90,000 people there. Fine. Great. The cheaper alternative that we were talking about in general terms before is the pay-per-view in particular in the UK. It's more expensive in the United States, but I was doing the research and the diligence on this. It's about a $32 US equivalent, $24.99 uh, British pounds pay-per-view. They're trying to sell as many pay-per-views as possible between now and next Saturday night, April 23rd. You know this. 
if they can get an extra 100,000 or 150,000 or 200,000 people excited because Dillian White's now participating and now there's some back and forth and they create some sizzle and move some people to go buy a cheaper pay-per-view, that's the motive behind we need him, to White, to participate in this. Just follow up on that one more time. Oh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, they... And that's not rocket science. That's yeah. any time you sell a pay-per-view event. Like Dylan made the point on the video call today. It's it's not the Tyson Fury show, which, you know, he's the A-side, obviously. He's the champion. He's the undefeated guy. But he can't, he wouldn't be selling 90-some thousand tickets if he didn't have a credible dance partner. And say whatever you want about Dillian White, but he's a very credible heavyweight contender. I was having a conversation today with somebody involved in the event, uh, and it was our opinion that if you, you Tyson Fury's number one, he's the champ. He's, he's the best heavyweight out there at the moment. And if you take Anthony Joshua and Alexander Usyk, uh, who are probably considered like the next best guys and put them to the side, they're unavailable. They're fighting each other. And certainly Tyson Fury is not going to be having another fight against De uh, Deontay Wilder, at least not anytime soon after the devastating victory he had against him in the third fight, great fight, fight of the year last year. Um, who's the next best heavyweight in boxing? It's probably it's Dylan. It's not probably it is Dillian White. And I would argue that uh, based on recent results, you should probably put and overall resume, frankly, put Dillian White even ahead of Deontay Wilder at the present moment. Uh, and so even if he wasn't the mandatory challenger, that was the guy that Tyson Fury should have been fighting in this particular spot. So and again, what what Dillian said during the call was and he was making a joke about it, he says you can't just clap one handed. You know, you need two hands. <laughs> and the point is. Tyson Fury needs another guy across the ring to be the other half of that clap. And uh, they've made themselves into a, to a, a significant fight. And even if it's only for 10 days or so, or, or at a week, if Dylan White is out there doing interviews and talking and, and being present and raising the profile of the event and of himself and of his fight, that can only be good for business for everybody. And, and, and then let's be honest, besides the business, I, I've said this before, it's good for the sport. It's good to have both fighters have their say in the in the in the buildup and in the storyline of the fight to get both of them they both have interesting backgrounds Dillian is not you know just a guy that is a you know has no story to tell even though if Tyson's you know has been told before let Dillian White have his moment also uh it's just a you want to see that for every big fight you want to see both guys have their time in the sun and uh, hopefully get in the ring and then put on a hell of a fight all right, one more fun one, and again, much more on the Spence Ugas uh, pay-per-view coming, including that huge main event as we rock along on the Big Fight Weekend podcast. Um, we'll, have, we'll have more time to break this down next week uh, and what I think about Dillian White, et cetera. But, I mean, fair point that you make, and I think we cannot illuminate this enough. If Tyson Fury could not fight Alexander Usyk in an undisputed situation, which wasn't going to happen, if he couldn't fight Anthony Joshua, because now that's locked back in for an Usyk rematch in the UK, the next biggest, most prominent fight is Dillian White because he is tremendously popular there. That's what you were saying. I'm just repeating it and illuminating. I'm not it. even, but I would yeah. say that even if it wasn't in the UK, yeah. that would be where he would fight anywhere because Dillian White is the next best heavyweight but in boxing. Specifically there, specifically oh, sure. there, it's worth hundreds of thousands of more pay per view buys because it's Dillian White, then let's say if he's fighting a Jeet Kabayel, one of the guys that's on the list, the WBC guy, that's just a guy. That's, the thing. that's not a UK fan favorite. That's just a guy is my point on that. It's the biggest all-British heavyweight fight probably in the history of the yeah. sport, except for maybe 
and in terms of attendance, it will surpass that. The next biggest one, or you can say it's A and B or one and one A, is when Lennox Lewis was the WBC champion and he defended against Frank Bruno, who was a extremely popular yeah. and you know hard punching heavyweight who uh, you know. And forgive me, you would know this. Was that, was that at an outdoor stadium? And did it have huge crowd? Or was that an arena? Or what do we remember? It was that? at a stadium and they had a big crowd, but it was in, uh, I believe it was in Cardiff okay. outdoors where they have, uh, you know, a, a, you know, a big, um, a big crowd, but not, not 94,000 people. Gotcha. I mean, that's, that's going to be one of the, I mean, that's going to be even bigger than, and only because the capacity was not raised as much, but when, when Vladimir Klitschko fought at Wembley to challenge against Anthony Joshua in 2017, uh, which I was fortunate enough to mm -hmm. be there. So I can only imagine what it's going to be like on the 23rd with even more people. The limit for that was about 90. So they've, they've gotten permission from the local government to extend the capacity even more, but it means putting more seats on the pitch on the actual field uh, and that sort of thing. But in terms of the big event, uh, you know, in terms of all British type of fight, you know, when Frank Bruno, uh, fought it was and I'm looking this up on uh, on BoxRec as we're talking it was at the National Stadium in Cardiff and it was a big big deal fight back then no doubt all right we love this man's history we love his insight one more fun one it's the heavyweight division the unexpected happens all the time the crazy happens all the time <laughs> please make a prediction for me here just right now um 10 the fight absolutely happens uh but one it doesn't happen is there like a is a is a two in play? Is a I, I probably did the uh, I probably did the percentage wrong. Let's just do it as a percentage. Is there like a two percent chance, a five percent chance that something screws this up between now and next Saturday? Somebody flakes out. Somebody doesn't show no. up. Something happens. Is that two percent? Is that one percent? Is that five percent? I'll say that this fight happens ninety nine percent. Ninety nine because you never look. Stuff does happen. I mean, yes. It, but if it does happen, it's not going to be because there's a bickering over the purse or, or the, somebody or the contract out. he does. It's going to be because out. God forbid there's a, a freakish injury or there is a positive COVID test or something like it. that. You said it first, you said you it know, first. Hopefully that doesn't happen. Uh, Fury's already had COVID not Correct. to say he couldn't get it again. Um, no, this, this, listen, once they got the business worked out with Dillian White, because listen, uh, whatever they say, I know from talking to people that are involved, they could put on a happy face and a smile. There was some real concern that this fight, you know, would be waylaid if they didn't work out whatever the issues were between Dillian and Frank to make sure they were on the same page in terms of his comfort level with uh, all the things that went into the event. But now that's taken care of. And so it's going to take some freakish thing for that to mess up. But at the end of the day, whether it was Eddie Hearn, White's family, his most trusted advisors or whoever, somebody figuratively got in front of him and shook him and said, if you walk, and they had to have, if you walk away from this for whatever the slight is that you think and the problems you're having, you're not ever going to get the chance more than likely to make this kind of money and be on this kind of stage because he will go fight somebody else and you're not going to be in the mix. If you pull the ejection handle, some cooler heads prevailed and somebody said, listen, here's the bottom line. You know that Dylan White has an opportunity on Saturday, win or lose to change his life financially. Yes. Yes. If he happens to be the winner, he changes his life financially. And then it will be times, you know, another multiple because he'll be the heavyweight champion of the world. And, and listen, because this was a purse bid, there ain't no rematch clause. Mm -hmm. So he can just move on and do what he wants to do. And, and the reality is because he's, uh, he is the mandatory challenger and the title is not vacant under WBC rules. He doesn't have to make a mandatory in his next fight. He can go and pick and fight anybody he wants in the 
He, he in theory, could fight the undisputed winner between Usyk and Joshua's rematch. 100%. Absolutely correct. There's no doubt about it. And, uh, and, and, and I think that would be possible because the winner of that Usyk and Joshua fight, which is you know, going to be in the summer in July, the winner of that fight theoretically is going to have a WBA mandatory, but that's not going to be the next fight because the WBA still has that Dubois fight against the regular champion Trevor Bryan to handle. So that's going to take a few months. The point is there'll be a window for the winner to fight some other fight and the other mandatories are not yet due. So yes, Dillian White was not going to walk away in the end because there's just too much at stake professionally and financially for him to, to make that kind of uh, insane decision. Love all of that. All right. Stand by for me, my friend. We got more on the way straight ahead. Brandon Lee, who is on the undercard, unbeaten junior welterweight, big puncher out of California. You'll hear from him as part of the preview of the entire card of Spence and Ugas. That is coming up. Dan Rayfield also has his thoughts on the card and the main event. And we'll talk a little bit, speaking of Britain, about Connor Ben, the welterweight unbeaten son of Nigel Ben, in action on Saturday afternoon as well. All of that is still to come as we rock along. But first, we tell you about our friends at BetUS. If you're looking to wager this weekend on any of the fights, as we're talking about Spence, Ugas, et cetera, et cetera, uh, the upcoming Tyson Fury, Dillian White fight, uh, that we were talking about later on in May. It's Canelo Alvarez returning against Dimitri Bivol in Las Vegas on May the 7th. If you're looking to wager on these fights, do it with our friends at BetUS and take advantage of this offer. You've got a 125% match bonus if you take advantage of it for first-time users, first-time depositors on BetUS. Use our promo code BFW22 for Big Fight Weekend. You put 100 bucks in, you're going to get 125 more to wager with on all these fights. Again, put a couple of hundred bucks in, you got $250 uh, to wager extra on your initial deposit with that promo code BFW22. BetUS has been around for three decades. It's America's sports book. It has got great insight, great odds for not just the boxing, but the NBA playoffs, Stanley Cup playoffs, Major League Baseball that's just started up on and on with all the different sports, but in particular for the fights, get that 125% match bonus for an initial depositor up to $1,000. They'll match it uh, with BetUS and with our promo code BFW22. You bet, you win, you get paid with BetUS and use our promo code BFW22 for Big Fight Weekend. BFW22 for the 125% match bonus with BetUS. We're back on Big Fight Weekend. Now, here's your host, TJ Reeves. As we do continue, it is the Big Fight Weekend podcast. We get to welcome this guy back, unbeaten and kicking things off on the upcoming Errol Spence, Jordanis Ugas pay-per-view Saturday night, April 16th at AT AT&T Stadium will be Brandon Lee. He will be in action with Zachary Ochoa. We're looking forward to seeing Brandon back in the ring at 24-0 with 22 knockouts. He's back with me now to talk it all up prior to this fight happening for him on that Spence Ugas card. Good to have you back, sir. How are things? How's camp? Everything's going well. Um, I'm healthy. My family's healthy. Uh, Can't ask for anything more. Uh, we always love getting insight from guys when things are building up and leading up here. Uh, tell me about this challenge of fighting a veteran 
a quality fighter in Ochoa. Some are saying that it is as good a step up in competition as you've had. Tell me what you see out of your opponent. Uh, I, w- I would say that he's a decent boxer. Um, he's from the East Coast. We all know that, you know, East Coast fighters tend to be, um, you know, decent boxers. And uh, I think he's light on his feet. He re- utilizes his jab well. And from time to time, he likes to catch you off guard with our right hand. Well, certainly this is a guy that will catch you off guard if you're not careful. That is for sure. Uh, we have talked to you in and around a couple of your previous uh, fights and a couple of your previous wins. You do not lack for confidence. Oh, tell me about your mindset once you get to fight uh, weekend, fight day, fight night. What are you thinking about? What are you telling yourself as you get ready to go in there? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of death before dishonor and uh, kill or be killed. I like those. You read those often? Do you have those put up on a uh, on a uh, sticker somewhere to just keep reminding you? You like you like those sayings? Uh, those two sayings, I I, uh, I do like those two sayings. I, I constantly uh, remind myself or tell myself them while I'm working out or something. No doubt about that. Uh, okay, fascinating. You are the answer to the trivia question in the whole COVID-19 chaos and nightmare shutdown of all sports, of all of everything in March of 2020. You were basically the last, you were the last fight. You were the last big time sporting event of any kind in North America for several weeks when you fought Samuel Tay in Minnesota. I remember we talked to you about this before, but for the audience here, it was a bizarre time. It was bizarre that night because you were one of the first to be having a sporting event where no fans were present. Nobody was there. When you reflect on that a couple of years ago, what do you still think about that night when you got the knockout in those oddest of circumstances, Brandon? Uh, it was definitely a different scenery. Um, I thought, you know, not having a crowd would, would not affect me, but <laughs> it for sure did. Uh, my adrenaline wasn't pumping and um you know, uh, I knocked, I knocked him out in the third round, I believe. But uh, I feel like, you know, if my adrenaline, if there was a crowd, my adrenaline would have been pumping, and I, I would have got him out there, got out, got him out of there way sooner. Still, uh, obviously, it's as weird as anything to be there with no crowd. And now we hear, now we go to the AT and T Stadium where the Dallas Cowboys play, where they, the Cowboys regularly play in front of eighty-five or ninety thousand fans, as you know. That crowd for this fight. Could be 20,000, could be 40,000, could be more. You're fighting kind of at the beginning of the night. That's a massive facility. I don't know if you've ever been in there or seen it. It's like the opposite of what we're talking about from two years ago in March with how many people are going to be there and how big it is, Brandon. Mm -hmm. What about that part? What about that challenge? What about your mindset? Um, It's My mindset's still going to be the same. Um, I can find someone in the backyard. It doesn't matter who I fight or where I fight. I'm going to go in there and do what I do regardless. Um, of course, it being a bigger event, of course, I feel like it's going to bring out, you know, the best of Brandon Lee. I think a lot of people are looking forward to that, um, as well. Uh, a lot of people, uh, love to be part of the big stage and the big limelight. So how much are you looking forward to that? Because you've been on Showtime cards before this is now a pay-per-view card. Are you feeling like, Hey, I'm finally starting to get some recognition on the bigger stages that I deserve. How do you feel about that? You know, I feel like I'm blessed because, you know, there's a lot of fighters out there who don't have the opportunities I have. And um, I feel like that's why that's why I always say and take advantage of it. Every opportunity that I'm given, I'm going to take advantage of it and I'm going to capitalize to make sure that, you know, I return to the bigger, bigger stages and the bigger events for my career.
Um, I ask fighter this, fighters this all the time about goals. Everybody wants to win a championship. On your timeline, ideally, how soon would you want a title fight if it could happen? Is that later this year? Do you believe you're ready to challenge for a world title? Again, assuming you're victorious, and we believe you will be, do you believe later this year? Is it a 2023 goal? How are you approaching it? I think mid-2023, mid, mid, uh, mid I think it'll be a perfect time for me to get my hands on a world title. I think a lot of people are looking forward to that as well. Um, a lot of people have an expectation of you delivering a knockout. You cannot go in there trying to get one, can you? You don't go in there with the goal of, let me try to knock this guy out, first round, second round. Do they not just come about naturally by you following your game plan, looking for your opening? How does that work? Yeah, they just come naturally. Um, I go in there to win. If the knockout comes, it comes. But, um, you know, they've came 22, they've came 22 times. So uh, April 16th, let's see if another one comes. All right, I cannot let you get away without uh, asking about the main event in this one, Errol Spence, Jordanis Ugas. I don't know if I'm going to get a prediction out of you, but this is some kind of world welterweight unification fight that is the main event that night. After you are done with Ochoa, you get to be a fight fan for this, right? Do you have any thoughts on this fight? Uh, man, this is a great fight for the, for the boxing fans, and it's a great fight for boxing in general. Um, it's a unification fight, and uh, if I had to pick someone, I'm, I'm picking Spence. All right, we'll see how it goes. It is his backyard, that's for sure. The 10-round super lightweight uh, bout that will open up the uh, the evening on Showtime before the pay-per-view is Brandon Lee, Zachary Ochoa. This man is ready for the challenge. He's ready for another big night. I joked with you uh, about this before. I want you to say it again for our audience. You're in training. There's certain things you can't eat, you can't do. What are we looking forward to being able to eat and do once you're done taking care of Ochoa on April 16th? What's the update? Man, uh, ramen, ramen. Uh, there's a barbecue joint I like to go to. Um, sushi, Give them some pizza. pub. Give them some pub. What's the barbecue joint? Where is it? Give them some pub. I've only gone there one time. It's in La Habra, California. I think it's called okay. Smoke and Fire. Smoke and, and uh, Fire's got your name on all over it once you're back in California. Eh? We yep, look yep. for you there. What kind yeah. of barbecue? What do we want? What do we, we got? Uh, they make like they make like brisket sandwiches, a grilled cheese brisket sandwich. Oh. oh. Yeah. I'm all over that. I might have to join you or go find that place. Case. Uh, again, one more time. Brandon Lee, Zachary Ochoa. Big things coming, right? Big things coming Saturday night, April 16th. Yes, Brandon? Yes, sir. You know, uh, 25 and up coming soon. Brandon, thank you. Good luck. We appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. So there we go. We hear from that young man who, again, uh, just dual tracks. He's got a lot of promise, a lot of potential, but there are still some question marks about the competition he's faced. Dan, you know a little bit about Ochoa here. Just give me a thought or two on the fight that will actually open up the showtime portion uh, of the fights uh, on Saturday night before the pay-per-view begins. Well, like you said about Brandon Lee, he's young, he's strong, he's a hell of a puncher. He's, uh, you know, he's been brought along properly he's he's got 24 wins 22 knockouts only 22 years old he's got the whole world in front of him in terms of his potential he was a good amateur and uh you know he they're they're stepping up a little bit against uh, against Ocho who's not a world beater was a, was a prospect in his own right for a long time maybe didn't ever get to the top level um but he's by no means a done fighter uh he's just not really a prospect anymore but he's a very competent boxer he had a good amateur background i saw him fight a lot on a lot of golden boy undercards when he was coming up um he made the point in the buildup to this fight that he feels like he's the, mature, the more mature fighter, the more experienced fighter, the guy that's not going to have a problem dealing with that 
sort of uh, bright light. He has fought previously at AT&T Stadium, says he feels comfortable. To me, the question is, 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 is Zach Ochoa, because he's not a big puncher, the question is, does he have the chin that can extend Brandon Lee into the deep rounds where he's never really been before? Uh, and if he can, you know, maybe that would fluster the young fighter or the younger fighter, I should say, and, um, and, and help him along that way. He's a good technical fighter, Zach Ochoa, um, but it's a fight you have to like Brandon Lee to win. I mean, they, you know, I know his handlers, they are very studious when they make their matches. And, uh, you know, he's been coming along very nicely. He's exciting. And it's, it's a fight that's made for him to win. The question is, can he look good doing it? So, you know, I, I like Zach Cattell. I've known the kid since he was an amateur fighter. He's a really good dude. Uh, and I wish him nothing but the best. But it's hard to, to see this fight ending any other way than, than uh, Brandon Lee by a knockout. All right. We'll find out if that's good. He's an overwhelming favorite. He's a 30 to one favorite, by the way, on the bet us line while we're talking about that for what it's worth uh, for Brandon Lee in that first fight. And we should make mention again, showtime will show this fight and the fight right after it that we're about to talk about again, one more time briefly, but also on showtime's YouTube page, they're showing it as well uh, for these fights. All right. So the other one, as you mentioned is for the WBA's, uh, what are they terming it here? The regular welterweight title. Yeah. Uh, Butayev is the regular, okay. the regular title holder. And what and, do we uh, make of this? No, this is this is a really good matchup in my mind. This is a heck of a fight. This is, and, and, and I saw some people on social media, and I tend to agree. Uh, in one of my columns on my Substack newsletter, I basically did a thing a couple of days ago as part of a, a column where I took the six bouts that are on the television part of the card, and I ranked them in order. And I believe I ranked this one second best only to the main event because, and even though this one, the regular Showtime broadcast, you have... Two undefeated guys, both about the same amount of experience, similar records. Both are outstanding amateurs. Uh, both guys still in their 20s. Even though uh, Bataev has got a title, you know, he's still only 14-0, so he's not that experienced as a professional. So they're still on the upswing in terms of their careers. And uh, they both have been in some nice fan-friendly fights. They both can punch a little bit. I mean, it's just a good, you know, good fight between if you were doing your top 10, 12 welterweights, these are two guys that would be sort of at the lower part of that ranking, but with up arrows next to their names because they have a lot of potential. So I just feel like it's going to be a really interesting quality fight. May the best man win. And the winner is going to be in a great position to fight potentially the winner of the main event, but it's a, it's a, I'm pumped up for that fight uh, as much as any on the card other than the main event. Again, uh, bet us who helps sponsors us uh, sponsor us on big fight weekend has that fight dead. Even both, uh, fighters at minus 115 to your point about they believe it's that even of a 50 50 fight true 50 50 fight <clears throat> for that one so that's the second of the two fights that are going to be on showtime then the pay-per-view card uh begins um all right what, what is your thought here on any of the uh, of the undercard fights before we get circling back around to the biggest one which is spence ugas in the main event dan rayfield give us a thought on the undercard well the rest of the undercard you have uh you have some good up and coming guys. So Isaac Cruz, for example, the pit bull who, who come, you know, is a lightweight who just had a very good fight against Gervonta Davis at the end of last year. A lot of people thought he won and he was like, a he kind of, you know, if Davis got the win officially uh, pit bull sort of won the event because a lot of people felt like he should have been the deserving winner as close as that fight was. So he's on the upswing, even though he's coming off of a loss and look, he's taken on Yuri Orcas Gamboa, who was a guy that's been around the block. He's fought everybody. Um, he's, he's a little bit past his prime at this point. He's 40 years old, but he's become, uh, you know, if you can beat Gamboa, maybe you can go somewhere, but he's like a gatekeeper, but a tough gatekeeper, Olympic gold medal winner. Um, 
He's lost a couple of fights in a row, but only against the best guys out there. The dude, the dude fought like ten rounds, or at least yes. eight or nine rounds, with a torn Achilles. Against that is correct. A documented torn Achilles. He kept fighting, I trying know. to go the distance. I mean, you, it gets no tougher than that. Good God! Right. So that's the kind of fight where you know, because Isaac Cruz makes pretty good fights, and because Gamboa can still sort of let it all hang out at times, uh, doesn't maybe have the phenomenal speed and reflexes that he once had. You know. His power is not what it was when he was a featherweight now that he's fighting at lightweight. Um, but he's a very experienced guy. He still believes in himself. And, you know, I think that fight has a chance to be pretty decent. And, you know, Cruz obviously is the favorite, but uh, I don't think you can ever really count out Gamboa. He's not fighting a megastar opponent. So that's a pretty decent fight, I think, all things considered. And then the other fight, maybe not big names, but again, I think this has a chance to be a very exciting fight. And it's what I considered, I wrote this, like the epitome of what they call a crossroads fight. You got Cody Crowley, an undefeated welterweight from Canada, who's on the upswing, who looked good in his last fight on Showtime, against the very veteran, uh, upset-minded, who has pulled upsets in the past, fought for the title, and that's the uh, uh, the welterweight, you know, longtime contender, Jose Cito Lopez. And, you know, both of those guys, it can be in good fights. That's another pretty evenly matched kind of fight. You don't know who's going to win. Crowley has taken a step up, in my opinion. Uh, Lopez has fought much better guys uh, so far in his career, guys like Thurman, for example. Uh, but he's also pulled some upsets in the past, like when he knocked out very unexpectedly Victor Ortiz. Uh, moved up in weight and took a beating against Canelo Alvarez, but hung in there against a much bigger guy uh, several years ago. Um, just a good, solid fight. If you're, if you're looking for, a, for depth on a pay-per-view card, I believe the type of fight like Crowley versus Lopez, it offers the, the, the consumer maybe not a star-studded fight, but something that's not going to probably be a waste of your time. It's a, it should be a, an entertaining fight. And at the end of the day, if you're spending the, the 75 bucks on a pay-per-view, you want to be entertained, and that should be that type of fight. And then the other fight, that's the one on the pay-per-view that I feel like is the big mismatch, and that's the fight between uh, the, the lightweight, great prospect, uh, Valenzuela, Jose Valenzuela, who's 11-0, and 0, who's you know an elite prospect, so this is not a knock on him, but they matched him with Francisco Vargas, who in his heyday was one of the most exciting fighters in boxing. Back-to-back -back fights of the year uh, in 2015 and 16 against Miura and the draw against uh, Salido. Uh, just mind-bogglingly exciting fights. But that they take their toll. He's now fighting as a, as, a, as a lightweight. He's lost some fights. He's you know had a lot of problems with cuts. He's not what he was. He's, he's a, all respect to what he's done, but he's, he's a faded guy. And this fight is made for Valenzuela to get that name of a former champion on his record and I think he's going to run him over. And as I have said before, in these types of fights in boxing, you know, they don't give you a gold watch on the way out. They give you a beating. <laughs> and it may be that case uh, on Saturday. Again, Dan is a machine with all these different guys. It's what we love about what he does. He's with me here on the Big Fight Weekend Preview Podcast. Um, we should make mention, I did not mention this earlier, uh, too. We're also releasing this podcast on the anniversary uh, of the Hagler-Hearns April 15th, 1985 war, the three round fight, the, the greatest short fight, I believe ever. We won't tip a lot of it, Dan. They need to go listen to the brother podcast, the fight freaks unite podcast. We spend some 30, 40 minutes. You even hear from Al Bernstein and Barry Tompkins, who were on the two separate calls of the fight. Uh, and you are again, a machine on the nostalgia of that great story about Thomas Hearns. So again, if you're enjoying this preview podcast for Spence and Ugas, double dip go listen to the other podcast about Hearns and Hagler we can't tout that enough because we both love that fight and I believe since 
I know this for you. You've watched the fight again since we taped that podcast. Yes, I did. You were going to do that. And I've watched the first round again, just for the heck of it. That's that. That's what this podcast will do. It'll get you energized for Spence Look, Ugas on the pay-per-view. I've Go done a Hagler lot of Hearns. I've done a lot of podcasts, but when we taped the one on Hagler Hearns, that was as much fun talking about a fight as oh. I've had in a long time. Oh, and again, go watch it and get yourself revved up uh, for the pay-per-view <clears throat> and for the main event. Okay, so let's get to the main event. Errol Spence or Dennis Ugas, uh, three-belt unification bout. How excited are you, and what do you think ultimately happens here, in particular with Spence off an eye injury, a detached retina. Speaking of the Kings back in the early 80s and Sugar Ray Leonard with an eye injury that kept him out for a while and, and helped make the Hagler-Hearns fight happen, here's Errol Spence, detached retina, eye surgery, big question mark, right? Dan, what do you think ultimately happens here? Well, back in the days when Ray Leonard had the detached retina, it was a big question mark and it was a career-ending type of injury typically. Um, sort of like if you're a baseball pitcher, you know, if you had that kind of elbow problem, uh, that many pitchers have it's an it's a career ender and then they discovered the tommy john procedure and it salvages careers and now it's not considered you know it's here to the offer year but a lot of guys come back just as strong as they ever were so in the case of a detached retina in boxing uh back in in the in the 70s or before or even into the 80s it was considered a death knell to your career but because of the advancement of medical technology a, a detached retina is obviously not a good thing but it's definitely an overcomable injury that that you can go and have you know the the the, the surgery that's needed um, and, and just take the requisite time off that your doctor tells you and be back and with like nothing ever happened. So I think because Errol has suffered an eye injury like that, you know, in the present day, uh, it won't give him any problems. Frankly, I'd be, I am less concerned about him returning off of the eye injury than I was when he returned, uh, you know, in the uh, 2020 fight also at Cowboy stadium against uh, Danny Garcia coming off of that horrendous car accident that he was in a few weeks after he had beaten Sean Porter at the end of 2019. So I don't think he's going to have any problem because of the eye. And he certainly didn't show any, any, uh, like if you didn't know that Errol had been in that kind of car accident and you just watched the Danny Garcia fight, you would never think that there was a problem. You just saw him, you know, win. Well, maybe it wasn't the best fight of all time, but he won, you know, nine, three, eight, four, and just outboxed, you know, a very good uh, fighter in Danny Garcia. Uh, there was no uh, notion that he had any kind of problems because of the, car wreck. And I think the same thing you'll see you, if you didn't, if you, you, we know he's had some kind of eye issue, but he had the surgery right after they discovered it on, um, you know, two weeks before he was supposed to fight Pacquiao. And the only reason Ugas got the fight with Pacquiao is because Errol fell out. Ugas had been scheduled to be on the undercard defending his belt against Fabian Maidana. Fabian Maidana right around the same time that they discovered the problem with Errol's retina. Uh, Fabian Maidana had come, uh, had to pull out of the fight with an injury. And now you have Pacquiao without an opponent. You got Ugas without an opponent. And so they were able to match those two guys together. It was the same weight class. And they got the fight and, and, and Ugas was the winner. And so now he gets the, the Errol Spence fight. But, you know, I think Errol Spence, uh, he's a focused guy. He's been one of the pound for pound best for a long time. And I have a lot of respect for Ugas, but I just feel like, and I've always felt like this, is that Errol Spence is, you know, just a little bit above uh, every other welterweight in boxing, except maybe Terrence Crawford. And uh, we'll find out for sure Saturday, but, uh, you know, I have every reason to believe that Errol comes through this fight and then does so pretty solid. Granted, uh, we know several things. He's the unbeaten e-ticketed guy fighting in his hometown. <clears throat> so if this thing is close, that's a lot to overcome for Ugas to be able to do that. Now, he did it against Manny Pacquiao in Vegas. Uh, the, the one thing, the two things that I will that I will point out, and you made mention of this, this is something to do with his eye and with his vision, and we don't know how that's exactly going to, and he doesn't know. He can sit 
and, and talk about sparring and what, but he doesn't know until he gets out there uh, against the guy trying to take his head off. And what does it, what does it mean with vision and he's getting hit, getting jabbed? We don't know. The next thing is Ugas is big, long jab. I think that could, could create some problems. How concerning is that from a tactical standpoint for Spence in this fight? What do you think, Dan, real quick? If I was going to be concerned about Ugas, it's not so much because he's a good, uh, he's good with his jab. It's because the way that he throws his punches, he throws them from some unorthodox angles. He's not a standard, you know, jab, right hand type of fighter. You know, he, he can mix things up a little bit. He's very versatile. He can, you know, move around a little bit. He's got some good movement. He can, you know, throw uh, awkwardly with both hands. So it's, I think it's not so much like that he's got one, you know, extreme weapon that's going to come into play. It's that he can throw you off your game. So it's not like, it's sort of, if you do the baseball analogy, he's not like the, you know, the guy that has the hundred mile an hour fastball He's more the guy that, that, you know, throws a slider down and away. He comes back with a changeup. Then he busts one, you know, upside, uh, you know, in the inside. Then he comes with a curveball. He's got – he can mix his pitches up in, 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 in that baseball parlance. And that's hard to adjust to sometimes. You know, if, you're, if you see a guy with a fastball, you know, you can sit on it. You can eventually maybe catch up to it. You can get a little bit of a quicker uh, start with your swing. When you're facing a guy like Ugas who throws a lot of different kind of punches, throws different kind of combinations, you know, has a, has a lot of muscle memory, was a was – a, a guy with a big pedigree from the amateurs like Errol also as an Olympian. Um, but, but Ugas brings that, that element to the table where he, he can mix things up and just cause you havoc because he's the kind of guy where, you know, I've heard some fighters, they say they don't watch a lot of tape on their opponents. They let the trainer do that. They don't want to watch a guy and think he's going to fight in one particular way. And then suddenly you come out for the first round and it's not what you saw in the video. So they'll just watch a little bit. If I was a trainer, I wouldn't want my boxer watching a lot of tape of Ugas because he is the kind of guy that can show you one thing in a fight and then come out the next fight. And, you know, it's going to be similar, obviously, but just throw in little wrinkles that are not quite the same and maybe drive mm -hmm. you crazy. And uh, so to me, the biggest factor for Ugas is the possibility of just keeping Arrow off balance. But don't make a mistake. He's the kind of guy where if necessary and if he needs to do it, he can sit there and sit down on his punches and bang it out in the middle of the ring if necessary, even though he's more of a boxer. And Errol, again, is a southpaw with a solid right jab. We know all this. Dan knows all of this. And he's got quick hands. And maybe he starts right away early on in the fight putting that together. And, and now suddenly Ugas has got problems because Manny Pacquiao, for all that was being said, he turned old in a hurry in that fight with Ugas and couldn't catch up to him and couldn't hit him the same way he'd been hitting other guys. And that was a big factor as well. Give Ugas credit, but a big factor in that fight was Manny Pacquiao looked every bit of what, 43, 42, 43? He looked every I'll, bit of that. that I'll night. say this about, about the fight between these two guys on Saturday is that Errol Spence is going to be Ugas's best opponent because even fighting Pacquiao, at the present moment, Errol was, was higher considered given you know, his youth and, you know, and, uh, and you know, he was the champion and the whole thing. But he is not, Ugas is not even close to Errol Spence's best opponent. He's beaten solid quality guys. He's already beaten a Sean Porter. Mm -hmm. He's already beaten a Danny Garcia. He's already beaten Lamont Peterson when Lamont Peterson was still pretty good. He already went on the road and beat uh, a Kel Brook, whose only loss had been to Triple G fighting as a middleweight. So he has a deeper resume against a whole collection of quality opponents. And not to say that Ugas's resume is poor by any means. He does have the win against Pacquiao. Now, there are some people that thought he deserved the victory against Sean Porter. But that's pretty much where his resume is. Um, so I feel like Errol is going to go into this fight. He's not going to see anything he hasn't seen before. He's been in with the best. 
and he's beaten the best. And frankly, if you look at the guys he's beaten, the main guys in his last handful of fights since he's won, won his first world title, he hasn't even been really, there's not a fight in there that was controversial. I mean, granted, the Sean Porter fight was close. They officially called it a split decision. Everybody thought, at least at ringside, that he won. He got the knockdown against him late in that fight. And so, again, I don't disrespect Ugas. I think he's got a chance. I think it's going to be competitive. But at the end, I just don't feel like he's got enough to overcome uh, all the different gifts and things that, that Errol Spence can do. Fair enough on that from Dan uh, Rayfield. Uh, again, Errol Spence is minus 600 on the bet U.S. line. Ugas plus 400 in this fight. And one more time again, whatever Spence does, it's another factor. The crowd's going to be behind him. And if he starts to score, the crowd may empower him. I'm talking about tens of thousands. We don't know how big the crowd will be. Maybe it's 20,000, 30,000. I don't know how big it's going to be. They'll darken it at AT&T Stadium. No, it'll be, it'll probably, probably be 30. Like other fights are. It'll probably be like 30, in the thirties, something yeah. like that. And, and whatever he does, even if he is swinging and missing from some of those seats that are that far back at AT&T stadium, I've been there numerous times with Buccaneer football, final fours, college football, national championship game. You're a long way away a lot of the time. And you're watching on the big video screen. Even if he's coming close and missing, there's going to be roars from the crowd that may very well empower him. So again, Spence minus 600 on the bet us line Ugas plus 400 interesting quick thought just real quick before we get out of here. The under over for this fight is 10 and a half rounds. Ooh. So the odds makers think long fight, if not distance fight, you buying that Dan real quick. Uh, yeah, I think I am buying that. I think if I had to pick, I'm probably taking the over. Yeah. Cause I do think that, one thing about Ugas, whatever you think, he's got a good chin. You know, he's never been, mm -hmm. you know, and Errol, I think, has got a good chin either. I don't, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I don't recall Errol ever being knocked down in his career. And, and even though Ugas has four losses, uh, he's never been stopped. And it, it feels like the distance type of fight. It, it, you know, when it's all said and done, it feels like, you know, it could be, we were looking at like majority decision, you know, 8-4, 8-4, 6-6 type of fight. You know, there'll be a, the, the, the contrarians on Twitter will say, oh, Ugas got robbed when he really won't have gotten robbed. And it's going to be that kind of fight, maybe. Maybe it will be. We will find out a, another reminder, again, from our friends at BetUS. They've got that 125% match bonus that is in play. They're sponsoring us here on Big Fight Weekend on the website and the podcast. So you put 100 bucks in, you get 125 more to wager on your initial sign-up bonus. Put a couple hundred bucks in, you've now got 250 to wager with of their money to put on these undercard fights, etc. Again, use our promo code BFW22 for big fight weekend. BFW22, 125% match bonus for whatever you initially deposit with big fight weekend to gamble on the fights. And before you get out of here, I, I've been teasing this. Connor Ben fights earlier in the day, big star in Britain, welterweight, son of the former two division world champ, Nigel Ben. He's heavily favored uh, to knock out his opponent. He's like 16 to one to knock out this Chris uh, Verheden or however you say his name. Chris uh, Van Heerden. Van Heerden. I who was should, close. Who should be respected because he's a quality professional. Yeah, but, but he's uh, not. He's not a big threat. And 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 Connor Ben may very well win this by stoppage or by knockout. We'll see. And Ben wants in the conversation at welterweight. Again, intrigued a little bit on the matchroom main event earlier in the day, U.S. time, prime time, U.K. time in Manchester, England. I like watching Connor Ben. He's a he's an exciting fighter to watch. Um, having had a chance to interview him a couple times, he's an engaging young man. He's a, he's a good interview. He's a pleasant guy. And uh, I was a fan of his father's when his father was champion and was fighting as one of the biggest stars in Britain back, you know, in, in, in his day. 
Uh, and the kid can fight a little bit. You know, I, I was very skeptical. I actually even, you know, I, I, when I had an interview with him one time uh, before, I think it was he fought, before he fought Chris Algieri in the last fight, uh, which was a spectacular knockout mm-hmm. that he scored back in December. Um, when Connor and I were talking about that, you know, he made some kind of joke. And I said, you know, when I first saw you, I've been watching you pretty much since your fights have been on part of these matchroom cards when you first started out. I was kind of skeptical. He laughed. He goes, you know, I was skeptical too. A lot of people were skeptical. Uh, the kid has a self-awareness. Like he understands that he got opportunities because of his name, but he's taking advantage of that. And now he's doing the business. He works hard. Uh, people I've talked to say he's absolutely a monster in the gym in terms of his ability to prepare and focus and do the things he's got to do. And um, it's great for boxing. I have, a, I have a guy with that name, with that kind of charisma, with that kind of punching power, willing to fight top guys. And they're moving him along. Remember, he didn't really have, a, he only had like a handful of amateur fights, four, five, six type amateur fights. So, you know, he's learning on the job and he's, he's learning pretty quick because if you look at his last, you know, four or five fights, he's made dramatic improvement, improvements. And Van Heerden is a good, solid professional. He's been around for a while. He's got a couple of losses. Um, he's a southpaw, which might give Connor a little bit of a different look as they try to get him some experiences against different kinds of guys. Uh, but he's obviously the big favorite. And you know, at the end of the day, you probably think he's going to knock him out. And Heerden uh, lost to Errol Spence uh, back in 2015 before Spence became a world champion. Van Heerden hasn't lost since. He had a no contest fight with Jerron Boots Ennis where they had a clash of heads. It busted uh, Van Heerden wide open in December of 2020. He hasn't fought since in over a year. What kind of opposition will he be for Connor Ben? As Dan just said, will the Southpaw stance befuddling a little bit? Will Ben march right through him, bomb him, knock him out? We don't know. That's some intrigue earlier in the day. And then we've got a long Dan. Dan is going to have like two meals, I think. <laughs> I think I am too, and everybody else, because you've got a long like seven fight between the two Showtime fights and the five pay per view fights. You've got a long afternoon and evening at AT and T Stadium, the home of the Dallas Cowboys and the home of Errol Spence and Ugas. Going to be a lot of fun to watch all of this unfold on Saturday. Right. One more time before we're done. Oh no doubt about it. I mean, I like a good boxing day, and I love the fact that when they do the the zone cards that are in Britain, they're going to be over. Uh, it'll probably end half an hour before the showtime uh, part of the card starts. So, you know, the Ben fights probably around 5.30-ish Eastern time, over by, you know, 6, 6.30-ish Eastern time, depending on how the card plays out. And then, you know, you, you take a little break, you, you hit the bathroom, and then you get ready for the <laughs> for the, for the the showtime fights, and then you got the pay-per-view. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, though, that's a lot better of a schedule than we had last week when you had three cards that conflicted all at the same time between uh, the Showtime fights and the and the uh, ESPN fights and also the the Ryan Garcia card on the zone. So uh, I'll take the long day where they're at least after one after the other than where you're trying to watch three things at once. Agreed on that. We were having a chaotic time last week. Dan's now officially contributing, writing on the website, and I'm I'm with him. He's with me. Which one are we writing? Which one are we getting up first? With all that's happening, that will not be the case. Spence Ugas will take center stage Saturday night as the primary fight. Listen, we've had a busy time on this podcast. Thank you again. We encourage everybody again, one more quick plug, go listen to the Hagler Hearns retrospective one, Fight Freaks Unite. If you're on this podcast feed, it's the previous one before this preview podcast of Spence and Ugas. It's well worth it to hear the Dan Rayfield stories, including sitting next to Thomas Hearns, uh, as the hitman is having to relive the knockout over and over again. It's, how am I doing on my tees? You want to hear this. You want to hear Hearns' reaction. Dan's got a great story from a few years ago. Go hear it. Go get his insight. The retrospective, we love reliving Hagler Hearns on the anniversary. They need to go hear Fight Freaks Unite 
on this podcast feed. No doubt about that. Dan, great stuff. As always, I appreciate your time. Enjoy the fights this weekend. We'll be reading you on our site. We encourage people to also find your Substack under substack.com, the Fight Freaks Unite uh, Substack for, for his great information too. And find him here on the podcast network, Big Fight Weekend Podcast. Dan Rayfield, thank you. And let's enjoy the fights this weekend, my friend. All right, TJ, let's have a good one. And we thank you for being with us. Thanks also to Brandon Lee, who's on this undercard as well. And we thank Showtime for helping line up that interview as he fights Zachary Ochoa in the debut fight of the Showtime two fights before the pay-per-view of Spence Newgrounds. I think ultimately this will be Errol Spence. I think Dan thinks that too, but this is why we watch. We'll see what happens with Ugas and we'll see what happens in the future with whoever wins this and how set up they are uh, for whatever may happen after it's done. But now we're good. Again, follow, subscribe, find us, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get those podcasts. The preview podcast is out. Don't forget, Fight Freaks Unite recap coming Monday on everything that happened. Dan will give you his thoughts on everything that happens this weekend. For now, we're good on the Big Fight Weekend Podcast. I'm TJ Reeves for Dan Rayfield. Thank you for being with us. Bye.